The following is an interview with Jay Daniel, who was an integral part in the production of Moonlighting. We had a wonderful conversation with him, and what a great sense of humour. Thank you, Jay, for your time and extensive knowledge and fond memories of the show. And special thanks to Scott Ryan, the author of the Moonlighting book, An Oral History. And now, please enjoy our interview with executive producer and director, Jay Daniel. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now this is going to take several years as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are and even if you have some trivia to disclose. Our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com and we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. Welcome to Moonlighting the Podcast, Jay. (laughs) Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. Oh, sure. It's a pleasure to have you. Grace is calling in from Melbourne, Australia. Ah, good. Hi, Jay. Hi. All right. Well, hopefully your memory is long, right? 35 plus years. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of it is and some of it isn't. So we'll find out, I guess. Yes, exactly. We'll find out. I know you've talked a lot about moonlighting over the years. So, you know, if we can dig out anything new today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I'm, uh, I'm ready to, to answer any questions you have as best as I can. And uh, I'm so uh, happy to hear that this uh, we may get syndicated here. So uh, yeah. that's a big event for us, you know, so that's great. But, uh, yeah, fire away, and uh, I'll, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> so um, let's talk about Moonlighting streaming soon. I saw on Twitter that Glenn said that they'll probably go back to the film, you know, get the film and remaster it. If he was a betting man, he said, you know, he thought that they would start there. Uh-huh. Um, so where is that film? Where is all the footage of Moonlighting? You know, that's not a question I can answer. Uh, I honestly am not sure. Glenn probably knows better than I do for it now. Where it's physically stored, I have not a clue. Okay. Yeah. Probably at Disney somewhere. Probably in some Disney vault next to yeah, Snow White so, or something. Uh, you know, Goofy or something. <laughs> exactly. That's where I started in the business, by the way. Uh, oh, did Disney. you? Yeah. Oh, my wow. First, uh, my first job. And what did you do there? Well, I was fortunate and got in the uh, Director's Guild trainee program, mm. um, okay. which uh, 
uh, sponsored by the Producers Guild and, and uh, the directors. And you enter a sort of a, I guess you'd call it a contest. You take a, a nationwide test. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of applicants and all over the country. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a top 50 of like 2,500 applicants. Oh, wow. This program. It was in its like second year, I think, maybe third. But, but uh, it was a new thing. So that's a good thing. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I was fortunate enough to get in, and, and the top 50 has an interview uh, with uh, a bunch of people from the business that uh, achieved success and that you sort of recognize their faces, you know, and uh, you're like sitting in the spotlight and, and they're around you <laughs> asking questions. Yeah. Uh, but uh, apparently I I answered okay. I do remember the last... Last question they asked me was, uh, scared the hell out of me, was, uh, if you don't get in this program, what do you think you'll do? And I said something like, uh, well, you know, I know I'm going to get in this business one way or another, so that's what I'll do. I'll keep pursuing getting in this business until I do. And I was, so I got, uh, I got chosen. They took 10, and I was chosen as one of the 10. Wow. So this was my very first job on a studio lot. Uh, and it was at Disney. It was a great place to start because they do things a little differently. There is a little less formal. Security is a little looser. It's, it's just a pleasant place to work, you know. Yeah. I learned not much later that every studio wasn't quite like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. a little harder edged here and there. <laughs> what was your original intent when you went into the business? Was it acting, directing? You ended up, you know, directing and producing. Well, I uh, I went to uh, college at uh, Oklahoma State uh, and majored in theater arts. I had a scholarship. I'd won some contests. Uh, I actually was a two-time state champion in, in speech contests and uh, national finished second in the nation. Off of that, I got a scholarship to OSU in theater arts and had a wonderful experience there for four years. And I came out here, I either had to go east or west, I knew that. And so I came to California and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, get my master's at UCLA. It was at UCLA that I saw on the bulletin board a little small sign that described this new trainee program. Some luck along the way, I guess, uh, to, to find out about it and, and all of that, and and, uh, and be fortunate enough to get in. So many people applying, there had to be somebody watching over me to, to let an okey in, you know. But when I was at OSU, uh, Oklahoma State, I majored in theater, as I said, and I was I was focused on acting. And I left there, you know, uh, feeling that. Uh, that's what I was going to be doing out here. But the last thing I did at OSU was I wrote a play. And it was, you know, a short play, like a 45 minutes. We staged it uh, at the small theater at Oklahoma State, and uh, it was well received. And I realized that, uh, you know, I really, really enjoyed directing and producing and uh 
that I might want to do that rather than be the actor that's being told what to do by the director or the producer. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So so I ended up coming out here thinking I was still going to be an actor. I actually got in, I was at uh, in graduate school. I did one role and saw me on, on stage at UCLA and said, you're, gonna, you're right for this role. I've forgotten her name, but I went out into the valley to meet with the director, Peter Bogdanovich. Mm. He was living in a house out there with his wife at that time. So I did a very small role in his first film, which was called Targets. Wow. Uh, and I had like maybe three or four lines. My first uh, introduction into the business as an actor, and it was raining at a drive-in theater. Mm. <laughs> And I had to run outside and tell everybody that someone was behind the screen shooting at people in cars, you know. So, wow. Uh, that was my introduction into acting. And I said, you know, maybe I should do what, what McDonavich is doing instead of this, you know. <laughs> wow. It, it all kind of ties together, doesn't it? Starting with Peter McDonavich. So, and... and then, of course, I got to know Peter very well when, uh, when I got to know Sybil very well. That's right. So that was all really. And she swears that he remembers me from the part I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. And uh, so, you know, back to the moonlighting footage, because, you know, us moonlighting fans, we always want more. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, so of, of you what know. you <laughs> of what you know of the moonlighting footage, do you think there is more? Are there? extra scenes to be had and shown on the streaming. Are there more bloopers? Is there maybe a director's cut um, with the footage? Will we be able to see more? That's an interesting question. And I, I don't have a, a good answer for you because I, the deal just, if it's made, it's, it's just made. So I honestly don't know. But if I go back in my mind over, because I spend a lot of time in the editing room, Editing really is the final rewrite. So we uh, spend a lot of time editing. So are there things on the editing room floor that uh, might be interesting? If they are, it's a little bitty pieces. There's no big major scene that I can recall that we had to uh, cut because for time or if it didn't work, we went back and shot it again, you know. So that's it. I wouldn't think you're going to see a whole lot of new. I'm sure there are places where somebody broke up and whatnot, you know, laughed and then had to cut and go forward and whatnot. Yeah. It wasn't really that kind of set. It sounded like normally you guys were short footage, so there's probably not a lot of extra footage. (laughs) That's very true. That's very true. We were happy just to get it those minutes that <laughs> filled the time done, you know, so we didn't do anything extra that I could remember ever, you know. Yeah. Um, I know that wasn't the answer you wanted, but I'm afraid it's true. Yeah, no, we're just curious about, these are things that we wonder, you know, there's no right yeah. answer or wrong answer. And do sure. you remember, I think it was, either it was you said in an interview or Robert Butler said in an interview, that there was a screen test with Sybil and Bruce. It was a screen test when they were dancing in the bar that was different yes. from what was in the pilot. But we, uh, we haven't seen that. So where is it? Well, uh, they have a copy of it. And Glenn probably does. Oh. 
Okay. In terms of whether or not ABC's circle would have held on to that particular scene, the story is pretty much in the book. You know, we, we saw a lot of guys for uh, David Addison, and we read, you know, the number changes. <laughs> you know, someone says, we read more than 300, and then we'll top that and say, no, it was 400. And then I don't know how many really exactly it was, but it was, I think we read every able-bodied actor that could <laughs> walk to the room to read. We read him, you know. So yeah. uh, when you get to Desi Arnaz Jr. sweating his sweating his face off, you know you've got you you're sort of near the bottom of the barrel here, you know. Nothing <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know you, you know maybe yeah. we're looking a little too far now, but uh, but you know the memory of when uh, when Bruce finally appeared. Uh, is is uh, something you just don't forget. He was out here uh, waiting for a. It was a military thing. That's what the reason he was out here. So he was his head was almost shaved, you know, and he came in wearing like fatigues because he'd come from waiting for this other role, this other feature. And my memory is he climbed up on the table, cross-legged on the table. Uh, and somebody else that was in the room uh, remembers, I think it was Rubens, remembers the file cabinet. But uh, my memory and everybody else I've talked to about it is that he just got up on the table and sat there and his legs crossed and read the part, you know. Yeah. He walked out of the room and gave it Addison. Yeah, so memorable. Really made uh, himself stand out. And, you know, we all, we felt it. Glenn felt it like, Really, in his bones, you know, written yes. the character, and it was, in some ways, in his mind, based on him, uh, that he's the guy to recognize the guy. And so, when he said that, we go, "Yeah." And was it exactly the vision that I'd had of who David Addison was at that particular moment? I was going, "Well, I think, I think so," <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did a screen test. Which was really a very, you know, you go to a, a place that does inserts for you where you take a picture of someone picking glasses and you shoot the glasses tight and show their hand, pick them up. Uh, you go to a house that normally shoots that way. Well, we did that with Bruce. They still went, don't think so. I don't know. Yeah. But we knew we had to do a screen test with Sybil. We ended up doing that. The scene that you mentioned, Really just a big empty soundstage, which we hung black curtains and uh, lit it well, moved the camera quite well. And we shot that scene that was eventually shot for the pilot in a real bar elsewhere. For that screen test, that's what we shot. You know what? I like that scene better than the one that's in the pilot. It just sort of worked in a sort of magical way. Yes, and I, it, I would love to you, see that. You saw them, what they could be. And we did another scene. We went to another place to a set that we just rent of a kitchen. Got a scene there as well with the two of them, which worked very well too. But the scene that really killed was them dancing together. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's what got Bruce the role. It does seem like we have the footage of them in the kitchen and... Uh-huh some of the other um, test readings that Bruce did and stuff, but the dancing scene, 
that you're talking about, we haven't seen. And it'd be great if that could be released at some point. Yeah. Are you in touch with Glenn at all? Or? Yes. He probably has it. Okay. I'll look at my, what I've got upstairs. I have a lot of stuff, but I don't know that I, that I have that. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. That was really for, you know, network. Sounds like a, an amazing scene. Yeah, for us it was. <laughs> it really did work. It was a very important uh, time in the pilot, because if he hadn't have gotten Bruce, I don't know who else could have done. As we always say, the show wouldn't work without the two of them together. So uh, right. that was That's very right. important. And we, we were unfortunate enough, we, we were able to prove that. <laughs> she got but, pregnant, so. I know, I know, anyway. yes. Anyway. <laughs> First of all, Jay, it's uh, a pleasure to have you with us today. So I just wanted to say that before I begin, thank you for thank joining you. us. Um, Enjoying being here. Thank you. My impression of you is that you were the glue that held it all together. That's a Moonlighting fan's impression. I just want to go back to a typical day on the set. We're sort of interested in the specifics of your role on the show and what a typical day looked like for you. Oh. Well, let me see. Uh, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the day would usually start with, uh, I always went to the set first thing. Uh, location or not, on stage, I'd go, but obviously. But even if it's downtown L.A., I was there uh, when the crew arrived. Uh, and uh, would talk immediately, get with the director and talk about the day and where this is going to be shot and all that and uh, where to put the trucks and that, all that sort of stuff. Just making sure that the plan for the day was set in everybody's mind, exactly what we were trying to accomplish, what scenes we were going to be shooting, and how do we prepare in advance while we're doing scene one, how do we prepare scene three while scene one is being shot, those kinds of discussions, you know. Uh, and then I go to... Um, the studio and my office and deal with uh, whatever needed to be dealt with there and eventually find myself in the editing room, editing either one of the scenes that we'd shot for the particular show we were now shooting or we'd still be editing the show we shot before. I might be working on that one, you know, with the editor. And uh, so uh, quite a bit of my day was spent with the editors in the editing room. Um, and because uh, the pace of the show and the energy of the show and the, the way it was cut in terms of, of uh, it's pretty quick if you, if you watch it next to another show. And it certainly was, in those days, very quick uh, uh, for a television show uh, in terms of the speed of the dialogue and the and overlapping dialogue and all of that sort of thing. Uh, and dealing with that, that's, you know, becomes an editing room situation as well. So and then uh, I was involved in casting. Uh, I would only go when it was one of the uh, major role. I wouldn't go for the teeny tiny parts, uh, but uh, was involved in that way. Uh, and... Uh, then there are days that uh, a film is ready to be mixed, so you're 
spending your day on on the uh, the mixing stage with the sound editors and whatnot and adding the music and and making this choice or that choice in terms of which of those two performances work best on the big screen here and da, 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 things like that and the editing room was uh there's a phone in the editing room so <laughs> when when there, when there was nothing up there to edit, you're on the phone talking to somebody else about uh, probably the show you're going to be doing in another three weeks, you know, and uh, we're going to be needing a such and such then. So you got to start looking for this such and such now because those are hard to find, whatever the such and such is, you know. It's the combination of the first thing you have to come to a realization of when you're doing this kind of thing is that kind of switch that will let you go from show A to show D uh, as you walk from editing room one to editing room four. Now you're on another show. That show has a whole other mood to it than what you just cut on the other show. So a lot of time is spent making certain that the best performance ends up on film. And uh, somebody has to make that decision. Should we be there? Should we be there with the camera? I love all that stuff. As I say, I do find it to be the final rewrite, and uh, Glenn did too, in terms of he'd look at the rough cut, and he'd look at my final cut, and give notes occasionally, and sometimes he'd, he'd see something that he felt didn't quite work, and you'd go back and fix it. That's one of my days. <laughs> Does, did that help at all? Yes, it sounds like you're a jack-of-all-trades. <laughs> Well, I don't know about all trades, but there's a, a ton of trades in this business, and you got to be good at one or two of them. <laughs> <laughs> or you're not going to be in the business, you know. So, but yeah, I, I that that's my way of working. I, I find the editing room extremely important. I find the dubbing stage it can be very important. The show very often would present itself the problem that you go, well now wait a second, I could do this in a feature, but how can I do this for television? You know, mm. uh, look at the pilot. Look at that building in the pilot where they're hanging off of the clock. Just finding that set. Glenn wasn't sure where to shoot that. So I thought of the Capitol Records building would be interesting. Then we went up there, and of course, there's not enough room up there, and couldn't play the scene up there. Otherwise, it was great. <laughs> but, uh, and I did get to see where Frank Sinatra recorded his music. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> but uh, finding that was a blessing in that there's probably only one building in Los Angeles that you could have shot that scene the way we shot it. We had a location manager diligent enough to go find it for us. And uh, it turns out it's right in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. It's just a very different looking building. So, uh, but the way we ended up shooting that with them hanging off of that clock, the key to that was that there's not just one clock up there. Mm. There are four clocks. Right. One on each side of this part of the building. So you could shoot on the back of the building where there was uh, an area that actually created a stage for you underneath the clock. The clock was up about uh, oh, 12 feet above your head 
maybe higher than that, you have all your equipment staged on that platform that exists already built on the building, right? So you could shoot that straight on, hanging on the clock and play the scene and do all that. And then to prove where you are, you had to go shoot clock number two, which was on the side of the building, and you shot it that way. So you could see them, the clock would be on your left, let's say, and they're hanging from it. And on the right, you see the street below going away from you and the city behind and all of that. And believe me, you believe that clock number two is just another angle of clock number one. I shoot clock number three, it's just a number, another angle of clock number one. I made yeah. myself clear in terms of <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how complicated these things can, can get, but how fortunate we were to even add to the complexity of it and make it into the uh, scene I'm quite proud of, you know. Oh, yeah. You believe it when you watch it, you know, and uh, you're on a real building, and that's a real street down there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a great shot. You've got a great location, and I still get anxiety when I watch it. <laughs> well, you just made my day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're talking about locations, I just want to ask you about some of the locations that were used on Moonlighting. I would imagine at times it would have been quite difficult to find some of those locations. The scripts were known to come down very late. Yeah. So... How would you find all these locations at such short notice? So, for example, one week Maddie and David will be in a boxing ring and in another episode they're in a theatre. So I was just wondering how you found the locations so quickly with the brevity of completing an episode. Yeah. Well, you have a location manager. You you have uh, one that is the head location manager and then one that is his assistant. And in a usual circumstance, the location manager himself is out scouting for different locations, and his assistant would be scouting for locations for even a a show that's going to be shot later. Or they may both be looking, but they're out there doing the advanced work. Because like you say, you have a boxing scene. Well, there's only so many places in L.A. you can go that's going to be believable. Olympic theater is the first thing that comes to mind because the the wrestling and boxing went on and whatnot. And that's what we ended up shooting and worked great. But that could have been a situation where it didn't work great or they wouldn't let you shoot there. And now where do you go? You probably end up having to create something on stage, which would be more expensive, first of all, and probably not look as well. So you make that decision that this is the the key scene is this boxing match where the money should be spent because that's what the show's about, you know, in that particular instance. You did mention a lot of overlapping, you know, there was a lot of overlapping dialogue between Maddie and David. Right. While we've been scrutinising the show now that we're doing a podcast, we've noticed a lot of single shots, not a lot of wide shots, therefore we assume they're not in the room together. And there's a specific scene, I don't know if you remember it or not, but there's a scene in Knowing Her where David preparing to go to the funeral of Harlan Armstrong. And Uh 
there's not one shot of them together. There's a rear shot of the body double for Sybil. Other than that, there's all single shots of the both of them. But there's overlapping dialogue. So we, we were sort of debating, was she there or whether, whether this was done in sound or in the editing room where they overlapped their dialogue? Because we really don't think they're in the room together. Huh. Well, I can, uh, I don't know the particular scene that you're, you're talking about. I can mm. remember a scene that we did shoot that would involve what you're talking about. And it, okay. And it, and it was... Um, I'll tell the story this way. I, I was driving to work uh, first thing in the morning, still dark, uh, and I go over a hill, and on the radio comes the fact that uh, NASA's missile blew up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Challenger. Okay, so I'm on yeah. my way to go shoot a scene, and I'm trying to decide, oh, my God, now what do I do here? And And I decided that we shouldn't shoot. So I had to make some calls while I was driving, obviously, and I finally was able to convince everybody that this was, uh, if we shot, we'd have to go reshoot it because nobody was going to be in the mood to shoot this particular kind of scene after what's just happened. Mm-hmm. So that, that changes things, and sometimes you're forced into a position where you can't get David and Maddie together, you know, mm. because of scheduling situations and whatnot. The other one I can think of is that was responsible for what you're talking about happening. We were shooting in an underground garage scene. And once again, I'm driving to work. I hear on the radio that David Addison, uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis, David Addison, has had a little skiing accident, broken his <laughs> <Yep>. collarbone. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm on the way to shoot a scene with him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, that's a great way to find out the news. Yeah, that's a good way to start your day. And <laughs> so. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So uh, it ended up that I had his double there. And so I just shot the scene with the double and used him as a, you know, like over his shoulder to who, who, who David's talking to and, and, a, and a wide shot that uh, doesn't really, you know, you can't really see David's face, et cetera. And then 
few days later, and actually maybe more like a week later, I went back with Bruce and shot the scene again. And, and I think I had one of the actors that was there. and didn't never had Sybil and Bruce together. <laughs> uh, and, and so in that oh, instance, you, you do the do- overlapping dialogue in a post. You have to. You, you can put her off stage and do the overlap in a car, a con- really a controlled situation like that. You do all that at once. But uh, in this particular instance, you don't really have both your actors together. There's no choice. If you're over somebody's shoulder who isn't really Bruce... I talked to the uh, stand-in about watching Bruce very closely and how he moves, mm. you know, from when he's talking from the back. He did that, and, and uh, there are times that I have to go, that was a double or that Bruce, <laughs> you know. Mm. So yeah. the overlapping dialogue it was uh, kind of a signature thing for the show, and uh, it's not something that you'd want to sacrifice. So. Whenever they could, they would be in the same room overlapping the dialogue. Absolutely. Awesome. They got to be very good at it. <laughs> it's amazing. Sybil described it as cliff diving for them. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. That's well said, actually. And the more we watch it and scrutinize the show like we do for the podcast, we're sometimes like, that was amazing that they hit that timing the way they did. It must have been really fun to be in the room watching that week after week. Uh, yeah, if the moods were good and all of that, uh, it was really a fun show to do. And, and, you know, you were always doing something, not always, but very often you were doing something that you haven't seen on television before done quite like that. So it's, it has its, has its little surprises for everybody and, and uh, you know, the talking to the camera. And they take you out of the show, but at the same time they do it in a way, it was kind of, well, that was kind of good. Thought, I thought that added difference to the show as well. But uh, the one thing I would want to say is that Glenn deserves a, a ton of credit for the creation of characters, uh, especially the Bruce character. And uh, he bears some responsibility because he so impeccable and hard on himself in terms of writing that he does a lot of rewrites. His way of working, he'd come in early in the morning and we'd be, you know, we have, we'd have a, let's say we have a, a scene that we know we're going to shoot and uh, he's going to do a rewrite of that scene because it's not quite right yet to him. Now, he could sit down and write, rewrite that scene because he probably would have thought about it when he was driving there and whatnot and run upstairs, pull something down. Instead, his methodology was to start at the beginning. Wow. A little change here, a little change there, until he got to the critical scene that he had to change, because he knew exactly what built up to it and whatnot. The little changes that he'd made getting it to the scene, he'd already shot those scenes. So he was doing it just to get him to where he needed to be to write that particular scene. Wow. That methodology is part of the reason the show was what it was, because he wouldn't give up until he said what he wanted that scene to say. This was in the days of, today you have your cell phone with you. 
want to call Glenn and ask him a question, you call his cell phone, he picks up, and back then, you had to find a pay phone <laughs> uh, to, to call the studio, because uh, the radios wouldn't reach. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, that added to the inconvenience. And I've been in situations where the script would be dictated by Glenn and uh, the script supervisor over the telephone. Mm. He'd write it down in wow. longhand. We'd go shoot the scene. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So uh yeah, it was interesting wow. to say the least. And and uh but his perfectionism it had to be right. Uh and this particular scene that he just wrote, he wouldn't hesitate to just wad it up and throw it away and start again. Uh so we ended up behind a lot. And to schedule, you would have to schedule knowing what a scene is going to be once it's written out of his mouth. That's the only thing you had to work with. This is going to be a such and such scene at a garbage dump or whatever, you know. So you know to go find a garbage dump. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and, of course, it's the wrong kind of garbage dump. They dump the wrong kind of garbage. Here, we can't shoot that. We go over here. Uh, so you were kind of stuck with that more often than you'd like, you know, because if you'd have just had another day to prepare, maybe it could have made that much better. But I have come to the conclusion in some of these conversations like this that I've uh, had is, is that I think that, his way of working created kind of a spontaneity because it really was kind of the first times they ever heard themselves say those lines, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so it was, it was coming at the moment in, in its way. Yeah. And so it, it added, I don't know if urgency is the right word, but, but spontaneity, it, it made it real because they didn't have time to think about how would I say this so that it, all of the feelings that I feel are coming out. They just said the line, and instinct kicked in, and it came out perfectly. Uh, whereas if, if they'd have had a lot of time to study that, they might have thought, oh, wouldn't it be ingenious if I said it like such and such? Did it sound like a question? Oh, that'd be good. So you have to tell them no. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> such a tedious way to work but yes I think it created the magic of the show and I mean wow that's amazing to write like that rewrite everything until you get to the screen but that's I admire that I uh, in, in, a, in a strange way it, it he found that it worked for him and I've never heard of anybody else that does it that way yeah. uh, it worked well for him let me put it that way yeah. Uh, thank goodness it did, because that was the only way he was going to be able to write. That was it. Yeah, it kind of created the magic. And you would do yeah. that with scenes as well, wouldn't you? With directors, you would say, is that really how you wanted it? You know, and you, would, you guys would take the time to get it right, even if you were, you know, running short. That is time. correct. That's correct. You know, we wanted what we wanted. And, and uh, the network, we were fortunate to have a hit show. We were fortunate that we had a show that uh, it was being talked about in the trades and uh, magazines, and that was part of it because there was a huge curiosity around the show, and 
and uh, you know about uh, is it going to be on this week even? Yes, we remember. <laughs> <laughs> Old about why we aren't on this week, you know. So <laughs> when, we, when we got to there, I said, oh, God, what are we doing now? <laughs> but, you know, people stuck with us, thank goodness. Oh, yeah. When the show finally aired, it was so great. How could you not? Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> thank you for saying that. Thank you had a lot of very talented people on the show. They had you. They had obviously Bruce and Sybil, but Jerry Finneman being the director of photography, uh, Robert oh. Turteries for costume design. It was a great team. Yes, you're absolutely correct. You just mentioned two two key elements of the show. Jerry Finneman, uh, old timer, he wanted to do everything he possibly could. He was so good with Sybil, very taken care of, and that helped. Mm. Uh, you know, he was an older gentleman and. and he got a great crew. So you count your blessings there. Turteries, he gave her a wonderful look. Again, gave another level of credence to the show. Those kinds of little things in a show like this make a big difference. You never know why they tune in. But when you dress her, you dress her as well as you possibly can. Have her look as good as you possibly can. Uh, you need somebody like Bob Turteries who can tell her, you look better in that than in that, so you're going to wear that. That was him. They had that relationship, and that worked great. She trusted him, and he had to do you know, some work on her uh, in terms of make her look as good as she looked. Yeah. You couldn't deflate him in any way. He knew what he was doing. He'd take the time and trouble to talk her into it. Yeah. <laughs> <So. laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as far as her look, um, I don't know if you know the answer you know, to this, but each week her hair or her look was a little bit different, maybe to show the passage of time. It was another few weeks later, months later, you know, from the previous sure. episode. Uh, was there thought put into that? Uh, well, not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of left that up to Sybil and her people. Mm-hmm. Because she never, you know, she was not the kind of person, I worked with one that was the kind of person that would have been with, you know, having had very long hair, having, having it cut very, very short, didn't know it was going to happen. They'd already shot scenes with it very, very long. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Uh, but Oops. that's another story entirely. <laughs> involved, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the mood on the set. And, you know, you were there from pretty much very beginning to the very end, right? Yep. So in Scott Ryan's book, reading how people, the memories of people's time on the set, people seem to be more resentful of Sybil's behavior and maybe blame her for more of the tension between the two of them. Although I'm sure it could change from time to time. But is that the way you see it at all? Or how did you view their relationship over the the course of the series? Ah, Boy, good question. Uh, well, hmm. it could, and your observation about how the crew felt about it is correct. I mean, the one thing the crew hates is hurry up and wait. Hurry up, you got to get this set lit. We got to get this over here and get over here. So, okay, we're ready. They sit and wait till she's ready. And, uh, you know, as time went along, it just seemed to happen more and more, especially. Once she was pregnant, especially once she was uh, involved with kids in her trailer, it got worse, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're sitting and waiting for her a lot. 
and I would figure out ways to busy the crew because I knew there was going to be a wait here. Mm-hmm. She has to change from this to this. Well, that's going to take some time. So we'd do shots like uh, elevator doors open and you'd walk out and down the hallway. Well, that wouldn't be civil. It'd yeah. be something I could shoot with a, outside the scene, the main scene that was being shot. Uh, in the outer office, I'd go shoot that. And then finally, uh, we got word she was on her way to the set and things we ready for her when she got there. But there was no way to hurry her up, even, you know, chair and whip and all of the above didn't work. <laughs> but the uh, uh, striped shirt didn't help. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and uh, she deserved uh, some of that, a lot of it, actually. I mean, you expect that, but not at the level that it came. And I think, you know, part of Sybil's attitude, et cetera, was Bruce's success. Mm. Um, I think it was uh, very hard for her. She was a star. Now, here's Bruce. Bruce was a nobody when she met him. Uh, he's becoming the star. I think uh, that contributed to the uh, overall mood of the set quite often. Yeah. Bruce was a, you know, a happy guy and, and, uh, for the most part and would come in full of energy and wakes up slower. And, and uh, so there's just a lot of little things like that that you have to deal with in any show you do. Yeah. But the crew felt that she was more at fault for them having to work as late as they did because she knew he wanted to get out of there, <laughs> get to the nearest uh, place of enjoyment. So. Mm-hmm. No, I think, yeah, a lot of those things, like you said, are pretty obvious. You know, she was a star and he was a nobody at first. And then it slowly kind of yeah. it switched kind of, roles. Yeah, switched roles a bit. And that would be hard. I remember sitting at, a, at an awards show. We went and sat at a table afterwards, Glenn and I and Bruce and Sybil and a few other people. And uh, I remember two girls came up and asked for Bruce's autograph did not ask for hers. Oh, dear. Uh, mood changed. <laughs> mm. I still remember that. It's very quiet, and uh, I'll give you some evidence of that, too. After moonlighting, I worked on Roseanne. Then after that, my wife thought I was insane. I said, you know, Roseanne's success was based on a comic act. When she did that comic act, she was using stories from her own life in a funny way. And you know what? Sybil, you've had a very interesting life uh, and totally different feel to it because Sybil and Roseanne are completely different. But at the same time, you both have life stories. An older actress struggling to get a role here and a role there every now and then, et cetera, et cetera. Sold her on it. Went and did it. Uh, got Chuck Lorre to write it. We decided that one of the things that was missing was got to give her more people to talk to, and that means she should have a best friend. And so we went looking for the best friend. Ended up with Christine Baranski. Yes. She had no idea who Christine was. But she liked Christine they read together, and it worked beautifully, so we cast Christine. And then 
as time went by, Sybil started to realize that when we had the audience in, Christine was getting most of the laughs. Yeah. It was extremely funny. She was playing at being a little tipsy. Sybil went on a rampage and said we shouldn't show her drinking and da 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 because it was getting laughs. But she had other reasons, obviously. So that went on. The one thing that happened, again, this has nothing to do with moonlighting except it's the same actress, okay? Yes. Uh, Sybil and Christine playing a role. They're sitting outside on her balcony in this set that we had. And uh, Sybil says the line, Christine says the line, et cetera, et cetera. Sybil comes over and says, you know, uh, I should say that line. The crew fell over when Christine did. Mm. It was very funny. <laughs> yeah. And she was adamant about it. She said, I'm giving her all the funny lines. So I had to go to Christine. She was very, very gracious about it and said, of course. <laughs> so when the audience came in, which line do you think they laughed at? Christine's again. <laughs> Baranski's line. Yeah, Baranski's laugh. Yes. Which had been Sybil's laugh. <laughs> that was her line. <laughs> you can't win. You can't get the laugh. So, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I know. Yes. And both of those co-stars won Emmys as well. So I'm sure that was a... Oh, that was the day. Yeah. And of course, Christine, being Christine, brought her Emmy in. (laughs) Show everybody. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Whoopsies. Yeah. Sybil looked at it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I bet. And Sybil was off having her babies, I think, when Bruce won his, so he couldn't look too much. Yeah, yeah she didn't love that either. No, I know. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Jay, is there any other fond memories that you would like to share with us? And is there anything in particular that nobody has ever asked you about moonlighting? Anything we should know? Ah, well, one little interesting sideline bit is, uh, you know, we did the Shakespeare show. Uh, and uh, I directed half of it and another director directed the other half because it was a 10-day shoot and we shot on the back lot at universal there's a courtyard there with a fountain in it very shakespearean i was able to uh, direct that and uh, realized that curtis armstrong was a fun little actor Mm. in moonlighting and i thought did it a really good job for what he was hired for. But he had done quite a lot of Shakespeare. So one of the scenes I shot, it opened with him walking across this you know, crowded courtyard, all these Elizabethan costumes and whatnot, spouting Shakespearean-like dialogue, you know. God, he, he really was good. So I said, well, maybe we've got something here. <laughs> so... It turned out that uh, we shot that on schedule by busing them back and forth. I mean, Bruce would be at a church that was an hour away, and we would bring Bruce to our set and send Sybil to that set to be shot, part of her scenes to be shot there, and each part of his scenes to be shot there. So it was very complicated, and it was very gratifying for it to turn out as well as it did. I mean, I, I, I felt uh, 
everybody was saying, are you guys nuts? Nobody seemed to really enjoy that particular show. Oh, yeah. And that made me feel good. Uh, you know, I, I actually, <laughs> I had played Bruce's part in college. <laughs> ah, wow. Petruchio. So I knew every line. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, the real ones, not his. Yes. But, but the yes. real ones. Yes. Now, Petruchio really said that. <laughs> 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 He'd hit me on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You directed scenes that we don't even know about, but you directed like Blonde on Blonde and um, yeah. Great Poop. Yeah. So when you were directing Blonde on Blonde, which is a beautiful show. And oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, the lighting and, and the directing is just great on that show. With you stepping into the role as director, was it a little bit easier than a kind of unknown director coming onto the set and warming up to everybody? Like you're familiar with Bruce and Sybil. So was it an easier thing to do? Uh, well... Well, for me, it was <laughs> because I just did what I wanted to do. And, and uh, you know, and, and very often we tried to get the top directors that we could find, you know, that were available and not locked in. And we got some damn good ones. And I just uh, felt like I wanted want somebody to come say, you know, did such and such and such and such. Uh, we'd got, have a nicer shot of this. But I talked to uh, people about that, and usually, you know, what do you think about this or that? I don't have anybody to do that role for me. So I went to Jerry mm -hmm. Finnerman and said, you know, if you see something that you think is a little better, feel free. Please feel free to tell me. So we, we just had that kind of uh, relationship that way. And, and so everybody did their job, you know. It moved uh, quite quickly, actually. Yeah. Sybil was great. She was, uh, there wasn't a lot of Bruce in that show. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> there was a lot about her. And, and uh, so that, that worked out well, too. You know, mm. And, you know, the, you look back on these things and you go, boy, if that hadn't have happened, I don't know if that show would have worked or not, you know. <laughs> but we came up with such and such. And uh, that made that sing, you know. And, uh, we got lucky a lot that way. And actually, Glenn would uh, look at Bailey's uh, and be unhappy with something he'd written. Sometimes I could fix it by doing an over-the-shoulder of the person speaking, like if David was lying, I'd be over David, and take care of it that way. Other times, we'd have to go shoot a little pickup piece uh, in a show. But uh, uh, we were able to figure that out Use the second camera. We always had two cameras. Use the second camera crew to do that little shot. You know, those kinds of things, are that, that happens in any show. You think you get away from, oh, we, we can shoot this day for night. It'll cut in with the night shots. Mm -hmm. and of course, you try to cut it into the night shots, and it looks like day for night. <laughs> you know? So uh, yeah. <laughs> you, have to go, you have to go shoot a night shot somewhere, you know. So Yes. Yeah. Can I just ask you about Twas the Episode Before Christmas um, yes. when everybody was gathered around, friends and family, yes. cast and crew. How planned was that? How far ahead was that planned? Moonies want to know. <laughs> God, um, <laughs> we probably knew we were going to be doing it three weeks, four weeks maybe in advance. 
that we're going to be doing something like that. We didn't know exactly what. It turned out okay, I thought. You know, it's uh, one thing <laughs> that uh, we almost missed getting a shot of one of Glenn's kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's one memory he shouldn't have. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it was, it was uh, the event itself for the crew and all of that, it was a very nice thing. I think everybody enjoyed it. You know, they could let their hair down and front of each other and that sort of thing. And uh, and yeah, it was a, a nice get together. And uh, to meet a lot of the family members too was was uh, interesting. You know, you, oh, this is your wife. Oh, interesting. He doesn't sound a thing like you talk about. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Not what I pictured, yeah. <laughs> good, yeah, yeah. For good or bad. I have everything in mind, darling. <laughs> uh, can we recast here? No. It's uh, <laughs> funny. But, uh, you know, the hours, you can you know talk about the, the hours on the show were long, but... Uh, they uh, are always long on any show worth its, its weight. A 12-hour day is a blessing sometimes. If you don't stay and get it done, then when the hell are you going to do it? You know, so it's, uh, those are tough decisions. But you do, and uh, somehow they get on the air, and nobody seems to notice that uh, it would have been a better shot if you'd have had that, you know. Uh, but uh, that's really all you can do is... is Try to make it as good as you can. Yeah. Don't be nuts and, uh, you know, do night takes or something. Or be absolutely perfect, you know, or something like that. But at uh, the same time, you know, to go to take three uh, to get a particular important point across that didn't quite make it with the way it was read, those are important decisions to make. And uh, sometimes you get your hand slapped a little bit. And uh, as long as the ratings are there... We were let alone, you know. I think they gave us as much uh, freedom, I guess would be the word. We were able to do some things. I don't know that as a fact, but it, it seemed that way to me. Oh, yeah. And because we're going, that show wasn't good enough. We've got to do better, you know. Yep. That's, that's the business. Yeah. We think it came out great, and it's really going to be fun to see when it's streaming new audiences and how they take to it. I'm uh, anxious to see what the new audiences think of it, sure. Uh, those that haven't seen it, those that uh, are going to revisit it will probably, I think they'll respond well to it uh, in, in terms of of it. And uh, there's nothing quite like it on the air right now either. You know, I mean, it's quite a different show. And the novelty of it, I think, would at least draw people I've heard of this show, and I've, people say they really loved it, but I've never seen one. And hopefully they'll see one that they are intrigued by and uh, have some new uh, uh, audience members. It'll be great for new generations to watch it. My grandson, he sings the theme song. Oh, is that true? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and oh. the biggest complaint we hear is, where is it? Why can't I find it anywhere? Yeah, Why isn't, yeah. you know, I'm sure you hear that. No, that's what I hear. I mean, 
I'm going to be so happy not to have to answer that question again. <laughs> you can find <laughs> really, uh, and then they'll turn around and say, "Well, but just tell me why I didn't get to see it until now." And they, you know, because I know I didn't want you to. Yes, we kept it from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On purpose. Well, that's why we've created this podcast to create more awareness, bring moonlighting to the 21st century. We've got Scott Ryan's book. We've got our podcast. I don't know if you know much about our podcast, but we go episode by episode. We watch an episode and then we discuss it in our episode. And also we're doing an accumulation of moonlighting stats, Jay. Um, Uh We're counting counting the door slams. We're counting... (laughs) We're counting her feet out of the elevator. We're counting Agnes's rhymes uh-huh. and we're counting the outfit changes. So, so far we've only recorded up to Sleep Talking Guy and so far we've got 80 door slams. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would make him laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you had a microphone outside of their trailers, you'd have heard a lot more, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be triple that probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. If there are questions that come up from the things I've said, you can call me anytime and, and uh, I'm happy to discuss it. I, I'm uh, really pleased that you have this podcast uh, and you guys sound perfect for it you <laughs> you have an attitude that i would hope our whole audience would have uh, about the show and uh, you seem to know when it's funny and you seem to know when it wasn't supposed to be funny so you get it you get the show and that makes me very happy and we can all watch it together uh next year that would be great yeah it would be <laughs> absolutely yes we look forward to that Well, thank you so much, Jay. Yeah, I really appreciate those words. And uh, we're happy to be here. Happy to talk to you. It's great. And we just love the show. And thank you so much for all your hard work on it over those years. It's been so wonderful talking to you today, Jay. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We had such a good time. Well, (laughs) thank you for saying that. And thank you for your show. And uh, Thank you for liking our show and uh, enough to do your show. And uh, feel free to call me with any questions or any way I can help, okay? Will do, Jay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jay. Bye-bye. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.